0: The Giants began the season 0-2, while the Saints were 0-3. Both have only lost once since. This Sunday, they go head-to-head at the Superdome. Touchdown! Coverage begins at noon Eastern on ESPN Radio.
1: You're listening to Baseline from 538.
2: You're listening to Baseline from 538. You're listening to Baseline from 538. You're listening to Baseline from 548.
1: 538. Damn it! <laughs>
3: 538. Hi, this is Carl Bialik of 538. Welcome back to Baseline. It's our mini podcast we're recording live at the U.S. Open. We'll have episodes breaking down the results and stats of the tournament each Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday. And you can find us in the feed for the 5:38 sports podcast, Hot Takedown. On each episode, for as long as Serena Williams is in the tournament, chasing a calendar year Grand Slam, we'll have a Serena stat about her quest. Our producer, Joel Werner, and I walked around the grounds earlier today to ask fans if they could guess today's Serena stat. So, uh, for this podcast, as long as Serena Williams is still in the tournament, we're going to do a special stat about her chase for the Grand Slam this year. Okay. Uh, And I wanted to ask you if you know the stat. So, the question is, she's played now in three Grand Slams, and this is the fourth this year. How many times has she lost the first set? Oh, man, I don't know. Probably 40% of the time. That's pretty close. She's played 24 matches, so 40% would be about 10 matches. It's happened eight times so far. And by the end of this tournament, it might be 10. Uh, What what do you think that says about her that she's managed to win all those matches?
0: Well, she's matched tough. I think she's confident. When she gets down, she can go to another gear that other players just can't get to. Frankly, there's almost no one left in the draw to seriously challenge her from a skill standpoint. So I think she almost needs to sort of create the fight, right? So it doesn't matter if the player's ranked second or 20 second or 30 second i think she needs a little bit of angst out there to really see her best so she manufactures it but you know when push comes to show she's got a lot of show she's just
2: incredible she just digs deep and comes right out and wins it's insane it's amazing right
3: so why, why did she lose the first set? I mean, she's so good in the third set. What's happening, you think, in the
2: first? I think she's human. I mean, she is human like everyone else. And you get nervous here. She's got this huge opportunity to win again, you know, this amazing, you know, Grand Slam. And it's pressure. You have all these people, millions of people watching her, her coaches, her family, everybody. And it's pressure. It's nerves. You get nerves, you know?
3: So she would have to win four more matches. Do you think if she loses the first set in each of them, she'll be fine? Or do you think she's walking too
2: much
0: of a tightrope?
2: I think she's going to win either way. I think she's going to do whatever she has to do to win.
0: Destiny is on her racket. The only thing that can get in her way if she starts focusing on the outcome too much and sort of wanting it too much and sort of grasping for it, if she just plays tennis and just focuses on the person in front of her, she will win this tournament, she will probably win another two slams. I think she'll finish with 24 25, but it's up to her really. It's really in her hands and we'll see what she was able to do.
2: And,
3: and what will that be like? What do you what will that mean do you think if she does it?
2: I think it's you know what I think it's going to be most meaningful for kids, especially kids who aren't successful, who keep having, you know, challenges and adversities in their lives to look at her and say, "You know what? I can do this. I might be down and out, I may be failing in school, I may have been cut from the varsity tennis team, but if I keep working hard and trying, I can overcome it. I admire her strength. I'm a middle school teacher and I teach uh,
3: special ed to young women and they know her face and everybody knows her face and what she represents is is something so much bigger than knowing her stats and so
2: I appreciate that.
3: what would it mean to your students, to, to the country, or to the tennis fans in the country, if she did it?
2: Well, it would
3: mean, it would mean a lot to everybody, but I'm speaking from my, my Harlem School building and my beautiful girls that are there, and I think that it's something extra special when she goes out there and shows that kind of grit that, that we all hope for for ourselves. Here with me again on Baseline is Louisa Thomas, who writes about tennis for Grantland. So I wanted to see if the struggles she's had at times during her chase for the Grand Slam were typical. I looked up the other players who were chasing them who had a chance going into the U.S. Open, and no one had lost a first set as many times as she has so far. The closest I found was Rod Laver. He did seven times in 1969. That was when he won a Grand Slam the second time in his career. And he was 31 when he won it, and then he never made another major semifinal. It's not just that he didn't win another Grand Slam or another Grand Slam event. It's, it's amazing to me that he didn't reach another major semi. Serena is going to be three years older than him next month than he was at the time. <laughs> do you think that could happen to her, or do you think her dominance continues, whatever happens here?
1: Well, I have to qualify this by saying that anything can happen. She can step on a glass and lacerate her foot. You know, she can. Let's uh, hope not. But it could happen. Let's hope not. I mean, injuries happen. You know, new players come up. Careers are unpredictable. I have an impossible time imagining that she is not going to make the semifinals of several more Grand Slams. I mean, that is just outside of my comprehension. But I think things happen. And I think that one. One thing that I really admire her about her is that she doesn't take anything for granted herself. So I'm going to trust her to play each tournament as they come.
3: Speaking of previous Grand Slam winners and also Serena's age, she was just on the cusp of seven when Steffi Graf won the last calendar Grand Slam in the men's or women's game in 1988. And I asked Serena at the press conference last night, did she remember watching any of that? And she was not particularly impressed with that question. So, Louisa, do you remember any sports that you watched at that time?
1: As it happens, I very well remember the 1988 Winter Olympics, which happened just before I turned seven. It's probably why I'm sitting here today. <laughs> it was the birth of my uh fandom like a sports fandom so uh, but you
3: really should be a winter olympic athlete now if, if oh you, believe me <laughs> maybe in the next, next winter in, in the
1: next in the next life yeah no this spawned an olympic obsession that drove my parents mad and you know it was the cause of many bumps and bruises as i tried to triple axle across the living room floor
3: <laughs> so ice skating wasn't going to be the event for
1: unfortunately not
3: You're listening to Baseline from 538. Well, let's move on. It's time for today's significant digit. That's going to be a number that's caught our eye about the tournament. And today, that is six lottery matches. Now, I, I need to step back and explain what a lottery match is it's one in which the winner won a lower percentage of receiving points in the match than the loser. Now, normally, if you win more receiving points, it means you have more chances to break serve, you're probably going to win. So these don't happen very often. But to Nadal, Rafael Nadal, he's now lost six of these matches this year, and he hasn't won one. And if you go back to last year, he's won eight of these without winning one. And earlier, he had won six in a row of these matches so he was coming off a stretch where he was winning these close matches matches maybe he had no right to win and now he's losing matches he probably should have won last night it happened to him again fabio fanini came back from two sets first time that's happened to nadal on a grand slam what do you make of that stat and of nadal's form right now could he just say well i've been unlucky so i'm on the right track or is he really have to change something about how he plays in the clutch?
1: Well, you know, I think that every great tennis player is a confidence player. Um, Nadal, by his own admission, is someone who really depends on, you know, that self-belief at the end of a match that he can close it out. And that's clearly something that he didn't have yesterday. So to the extent that he can look at something and say maybe, you know, it was close, you know, I've come a long way, I'm playing a lot better than I was seven, eight, nine months ago. Absolutely, you know, this was not a loss like the loss even to someone like Thomas Berdick at the Australian Open, you know. I think he can take a lot of positives away from the match. At the same time, he finishes this year without having made the semis of a major, which for someone who has won one, you know, basically as long as I can remember. For 10 straight years, for 10 I think straight a straight years, yeah. That's a bad year. You know, there's a rush to say, is it over? I woke up this morning to text... You know, from friends saying, is Rafa done? Is it over? And I'm thinking, well, you know, that was always going to be a tough matchup for him against Fabio Fagnini, someone he's lost to several times this year already, someone with whom he has a little bit of history, and someone who is capable of going totally berserk and just hitting winners like a crazy person. And Rafa's always going to be susceptible to guys who can redline, you know. So I kind of want to eject a note of caution. On the other hand, I feel like I've been doing that all year long.
3: Uh, you woke up to those texts because you hadn't stayed up quite till the end?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I will admit, I watched the first set and a half. I thought that there were stretches in the first set of great quality, and the, the quality dropped, and I was like, pretty sure that Rafa was going to pull it out, even though I had sort of picked Fagnini ahead of time. So I decided to get some sleep last night and woke up to the news that I had missed one of the more exciting matches in recent history.
3: Well, hopefully there will be many more here at this tournament. Hopefully
1: tour. more. Uh, yeah.
3: You know, Rafa is a very enthusiastic poker player, so I think he should be able to understand and does that when you're having a bad stretch, you're probably a little unlucky in addition to maybe not playing your best, and conversely, when you're doing really well, you're probably a little lucky. So much of his game is based on that. He wants to do the right thing at all times, and he expects that as a result he'll win most of the points, and sometimes, as you said, the opponent redlines, and takes the racket out of Rafa's hands, but Rafa sticks to that approach.
1: You know, I think he only won something like four more points than Fognini last night in a five-set match, so was the difference basically between a few inches here and there. I mean, the amazing thing about the top four players, the top, however we want to define this little group these days, is that they tend to win those matches that are decided by just a handful, tiny handful of points. They always win those matches, and Rafa's now maybe on the other side of that. So that is where things do get a little bit worrisome, but um, it's not like he went out there and got absolutely steamrolled.
3: finished watching a player who's been contrasted with Nadal for much of his career, Roger Federer. He's five years older than Nadal, but is looking much fresher and better. And he's always had this different approach to the game. He wants his red lining or not red lining. What color is the opposite of red for that, for that phrase? I don't know. Yellow lining? Green lining? Anyway, he kind of relies on himself to play great aggressive tennis. And when he loses, it's often because he played aggressively, but it wasn't great. Today he really wasn't great, but did what you say the big four does so often. He managed to win nonetheless. Where do you see him now at 34 and his chances?
1: I think it's absolutely remarkable what he's doing. The flexibility that he's showing in terms of his approach. I mean, imagine doing what you've done for so long, realizing it's not working, kind of going through like a stubborn patch, and then being like, okay, let's just. You know, I actually came across an interview he'd given at the U.S. Open last year in which he talked about his desire to play like a junior again and how he missed... When he was a junior, he used to sometimes take that 1-in-10 chance shot. And then, you know, once you become Roger Federer, you can't do that anymore because you know the shot that is going to win 9 times out of 10. And then you start taking that shot. You start playing the percentages, and you rely a little bit too much on experience. And it was getting a little boring, both from himself and from the other players. The nice thing is he seems to be playing like he has kind of rediscovered some of the creativity of his kind of his youth and also the kind of like brashness. I mean, it's pretty great.
3: That's so funny to me because he lost famously to Novak Djokovic here. I think it was in 2011 when Djokovic hit just an absolutely brash one in 10 service return, which is now often called the shot. And, and he was quite angry. And Federer about was quite angry yeah. and said something like, "Maybe you would do that in the juniors, yeah. but maybe he's had a little time to think about that. This would be a good question to ask him in yeah. press. Maybe we should sure, go back actually. and ask." So we're going to just wrap here with a quick new feature. We're both going to share our favorite moment from the last couple of days being at the tournament. Uh, what, what was yours, Lisa?
1: I'm going to say that it was happened a couple minutes ago when Federer hit one of his defensive forehand slices a kind of squash shot that I have historically thought that he overuses a little bit and I kind of grumble about, but watching it live and watching him do it so beautifully, all I could think was, that is a gorgeous thought. And I realized I am not a credible analyst of Roger Federer right now, at least not live. I mean, I have no idea whether that was the right shot for the situation. All I could see was the kind of like rapier-like quality of it.
3: So you appreciated it so much for happening. How could you ask as a journalist for him not to exactly. hit it? Exactly. Totally. That, that is the conflict that's created here. I have a similar conflicted moment. I was not asleep during the Nadal fonini <laughs> match, which which had its repercussions like getting back after 4 a.m., but it meant I was here for this crazy night session last night, one of those classic U.S. Open, till 2 a.m., two great matches. And for the fifth set of Nadal fonini left the press area, sat a few sections over, it was kind of loosey-goosey past 2am and just cheered for amazing tennis and Fonini hit four winners in a row to break Rafa at 4-all in that fifth set and I was just silly and goofy (laughs) and loving it, so I'll I'll hope to keep that inside me when I'm in the press box, but it was fun to do at 1.30 last night.
1: Absolutely, I mean this is the fun thing about tennis, I think it's in some ways it's easier to be a tennis agnostic than maybe in some other sports there's a way in which you just get caught up in the back and forth of it. You know, it's not like you have your team and nobody else can do something great. Like, you can just you can just watch, and it kind of carries you over the net, you know?
3: Well, that, that's a great note to end this episode of Baseline. Thanks a lot for joining again, Louisa.
1: Thanks for having me.
3: And thanks to our producer, Joel Werner. We'll be back on Tuesday with another conversation about the U.S. Open. And in the meantime, be sure to check out our ongoing coverage at com, as well as on Grantland and ESPN.com. And subscribe to Hot Takedown so you don't miss an episode. You can email us at podcasts at com with any comments or suggestions. Thanks a lot.
0: Saints were 0-3. Both have only lost once since. This Sunday they go head-to-head at the Superdome.
1: Touchdown! Coverage begins at noon Eastern on ESPN Radio.